This is a Momentum Media production. Nerd alert! Property Nerds, <laughs> the home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, latest headlines and trends. Welcome back to another episode of the Property Nerds podcast. It's the last one for the year, 2024 is around the corner. We're getting to that weird time of year where people go, hey, I'll see you next year. And it gets a little funky. Or they might go, "Um, no, I'm not really thinking of doing anything now. I might get back into it next year. And then, oh, well, I haven't really started reading that book yet, but I might read it next year. And you're like, hold on a minute. It sounds so weird. Like, why do you keep saying you're going to do this stuff next year? And you forget like, okay, it's just a couple of weeks away. But we have not seen this next person or heard of this next person for a long, long time. And as you know, it's been a pretty crazy six months in the Polywell family household. We've had Lee, obviously, away from the Nerds podcast and away from work and uh, in the final phases of getting ready to have our first daughter. And then obviously our first child joins us and we have little Ruby. Lee's off. Lee's been masterfully taking care of Ruby, taking care of just so many things and just being an absolute champion and hats off and uh, respect to her. And I've learned a whole bunch of weird things on the journey too. Like interestingly enough, just when you think you can do it all and you go, hey, no, it's just a little baby. How hard could it be? No matter how much you sing to her, no matter how much you lift her up and down, no matter how much you try and play or give her a toy or whatever you want to do that you think that babies would like, nothing beats just handing her over to mum and mum's touch and off she goes. And so um, it's been an intense last few months for the family at home. But now we're finally starting to get a little bit of routine, a little bit of uh, momentum. And Ruby's turned from all cries to all smiles. So we're definitely in the cool part of town now. Well, supposedly until they start running again, that's when I hear things go crazy uh, to a whole new level. But that means we've got someone back on the show, a big six-month Hacious. And uh, I welcome back Lee. Lee, good to have you on. Yeah, a big clap for you. There we go. Welcome back. Welcome back. The Queen's back. Yeah, I just realized it's been June since I've been on the podcast. So it's the last one for the year, but the first one back for me. So I'm pretty excited and pumped to be, yeah, recording with you guys today. And obviously, loving mumhood and all the things that brings and yeah, taking some time out to go through some property and finance trends. Back like you never left on the podcast, back like you never left at Hills Finance. And honestly, looking at you, back like you never left uh, physically either. You're looking great. You're looking great. Lucky me. So Feeling great. So. Feeling great, looking great, everything. And in terms of Lee back in action, that means we have a finance guru back in action. We have numbers on the finance, not just me chewing your air away on all things property data. Because remember, property is a game of finance, yes. right? With just a few houses thrown around. So Lee, better segue than that. Nothing is better than that. Let's talk finance. Um, what are we doing with the finance trends, finance updates? Obviously, it's been a long time away, but what are some of the things you're seeing right now? Yeah, so um, being away... Up during that period, obviously, we were talking a lot about with the cash rate increases and all that kind of stuff. So in total, we had a good 12 months of consecutive cash rate increases. Obviously, it was quiet. And then we just had this random spur 0.25 increase last month, November, and again, 0% increase for this current month, December. So that came out 
unexpected really for a lot of people that 0.25% increase and with that happening then the next question for most people is oh what's my borrowing potential how much can I afford how has that been affected and essentially what we've seen is it's it's really about a 5% decrease again on people's borrowing capacities right when with that 0.25% increase difference. Which one that increased level is silly that they did, by the way. I mean, I said, yeah. I mean, all the we, data. You've covered off, right? Yeah, I've uh, covered off heaps on the property data. It's just so silly. I, you look at it from the metrics of everything I look at, from localized spending to inflation tapering off to global inflation tapering off to unemployment now picking back up. I genuinely believe, like there was this one moment, Mark Boris said it best. He said, what the hell is up with them trying to make back inflation target and it has to be made back in this one year? Like, where do we get this one year? Like, Mm. this one year needs to happen and therefore we must do X because it's, I'm of the opinion that the trajectory that's controllable locally without these last couple of increases would have got there. But it's just, who's to decide it has to be one year and immediately? I mean, doesn't everything doesn't have to crash down to this timeline just because it steps out of your curve for a little blip, which driven by some overseas factors, then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, we have to increase it more. I just think that they're not looking at the right data sets. But in saying that, hey, the more they don't look at the right data sets, the more they pump the rates up, we're just going to see them come down faster because you know, a household savings ratio, whilst yes, still positive, cannot fall from 16 down to three and have no lagged effects on the economy. It Mm, will. We're just super roaring and super hot in the economy now, but it has to change eventually. And signs are starting to show it is, and it will. And therefore, don't be surprised if rate cuts come sooner than anticipated, whether that's mid-24, late-24, early-25. What we do know is they're going to come. Yeah, and hopefully sooner rather than later. But I mean... Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like we said, property is a game of finance. And so understanding what, I guess, lending niches are out there that you can take advantage of is still really key. Um, It has been key all of 2023, really, I guess. So, you know, what do we need to look at and what have we been seeing? So obviously, lenders that are honoring pre-approval. So if you were already pre-approved and essentially there was the cash rate increase not being impacted on your borrowing power, or purchase power. There's a good 11 lenders out of the 40, 30, 40 residential lenders we've got access to that honor your pre-approval. So that RBA had increased their rate. And so whatever your budget you're pre-approved for, you can maintain that as long as you know the other purchase conditions are being met within that approval validity period. So essentially that's there. Also just some like policy niches that I did talk a lot throughout 2023, but more and more lenders have come on board with that you need to take advantage of. So obviously when you're gearing up for borrowing for your new property, sometimes you may need to reshuffle or a lot of the time you need to reshuffle your current finances. So taking advantage of those lenders doing the dollar for dollar refinance is still a key thing out there. There's literally... You know, at the time when I was chatting about it, started off with the tier three, tier two type lenders initiating that. And now uh, I would say at least 50% of your major lenders are doing that with um, a great option for dollar for dollar refinance. Meaning as long as you're taking on a lower interest rate or lower repayment, depending on how that lender is viewing it, 
they will do a dollar for dollar refinance of your current home loan debt without full assessment, without the full assessment rate, which is 3%, using a 1% assessment rate instead. So obviously it allows you to get your loan approved when in normal circumstances you may not have been able to. So one of the major lenders essentially they are doing this. They do the 1% assessment rate. They are also allowing interest-only repayments, whereas majority of dollar-for-dollar refinance lenders are wanting principal and interest repayments. So there is lenders out there allowing interest-only repayments for this assessment type. And um, they just want to make sure that your repayment is lower, whether that's because it's interest-only or because of a lower interest rate, either or, not both. Um, Well, that's actually a good strategy because it means that like, those lenders are looking at you for you yeah, and they're able to then start to give you a little bit more leeway. And I think what you're touching on, Lee, is actually very critical because this is the difference in bank versus broker, right? Totally. You're able to see the playing field and you're able to make decisions that are best for the client based on their goals. And also the other thing I'm realizing is, wow, like banks are starting to pick up their competition levels because they know- they have had to. They know that money's hard to give because yep. of the servicing. Yep. And they know that the desire for money naturally, whilst high, the output is low because of that. They need to come up with tactful ways while still within guidelines. That's and you right. can clearly see people are trying that. And it used to be just, your, like I said, your second, third tier lenders competing in this space. We've now got seven to eight lenders that we're regularly using for this dollar for dollar refinance. Over half of them are major lenders. So, I mean, there you go. Right. Now, if you're tuning into the show and obviously this is the first time you're hearing from of Lee because it's been a, a good six months, or if you're wondering, hey, why did these guys talk property and finance? Well, that's because Lee and her team are finance superstars. Now, they have been able to solve so many complex lending requirements, so many refinances that others said no to, and even equity releases, multiple bank valuations. So you're not just going with one and then figuring out how to then add the next and the next afterwards because of that synergy between us, Buyers Agency of the Year, and also Lee at Hills Finance. So if you want to best get in touch with Lee, how can people do that to get in touch with your team? The absolute best way is hillsfinance.com.au forward slash contact, okay? And then you fill out that form and we'll be in contact with you same day. Now, rates were obviously a big factor. Then you've got lending policy changes, Lee. What's happening in terms of the space of self-managed super funds? Because I noticed before this chat, you and I were talking a lot about SMSF, and it's clear that with SMSF, it's becoming a big inquiry for you. What are you seeing there? Yeah, so essentially people who are getting capped out as investors and borrowing through their personal names are more and more looking into utilizing the self-managed super fund. And why why is that if they're getting capped and they're still getting lending? Well, it's a completely separate entity. So what that means from a lending perspective is that when you go to the a lender for a loan for SMSF, uh, they are literally only looking at the super contributions to your SMSF. Which is before your salary gets paid to you. So that means Correct. not impacting your everyday life. So that's the income to the super. Then what is the uh, total holdings of assets within your super? Obviously rental income for proposed properties or existing properties through your super and existing liabilities or none if, they're, if it's your first time purchasing. So meaning they're not looking at any of your personal circumstances in terms of current liabilities and so on when looking at your borrowing potential or purchase power. 
So it's giving you a second wind in terms of going and, and taking advantage of the property market and, and buying through there. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because I remember about three years ago, superannuation inquiries for Investikit was about like one in 10. Now it's more about almost one in three. That's right. Massive, and right? it's because, linked to where we're at with the cash rate increases. Yeah, borrowing capacity stuck in one area, you're opening up angles of the other. And we found a common theme. Now, obviously, we can't sit here and advise on super, but we can tell you the common theme that we saw. The first part of the common theme was that we saw over 150K in the superannuation balance. The second common theme that we saw was then, then reaching out and getting up at either guidance to recommend the right people to set it up or with hillsfinance.com.au and getting a pre-approval. And then the third thing is people who are stuck commonly on borrowing capacity was the next thing we saw because they wanted that extra asset. So um, just some considerations for those who've been thinking about that. But that's really good because, I mean, it's clearly a trend. We're seeing massive amounts. We've seen such a big change between, what, one in 10 to one in three. That's that's huge. Yeah. But, Lee, in terms of super, what you said was around, like, the borrowing capacity. If I'm not mistaken, the interest rates are a bit higher too, though. Is that correct? Yeah. So. Interest rates for SMSF are always higher, slightly higher, around the 1% higher roughly. Um, yeah. So, for example, if you're looking to get an SMSF loan, firstly, you want to take advantage of borrowing 70 to 80%. There are lenders that are doing that, where some people think you're capped at like 60%. That's not the case. And if you are borrowing up to 80, you're looking around uh, mid 6% for P&I. Or, That's not too bad. Yeah. Or high, sorry, mid sevens for interest only for MSF. If we were to compare this to residential investment rates, okay. So I guess the lowest PI rates that we're seeing this for 80% loan on a purchase is around the early to mid six percent. Okay. So around 6.3 or so, maybe lower. And if we're looking at interest only, uh, that's going to be around the, the mid to late sixes. If we're borrowing 90%. Again, so there's a half a percent difference in this. Yeah, it's not too bad. Well, P&I versus interest only. If you're borrowing above 80%, your rates would be slightly higher again. Right. So, so early to mid sevens, depending on the payment type. So that's what's happening on the, uh, on the interest rates for SMSF, some of the lending trends you're seeing. Obviously, with regards to finance trends, ABS has recently come out with their release. What's the numbers saying with finance now? It seems to be, it seems to me feeling, not looking at the data, seems to feel like there's a little bit more money flying around in the air. What, what are you noticing in recent times? So this is delayed, the data firstly, it's October 2023 data. So for total housing, it has risen by 5.4%. And so that's a rise of 1.5% in September. And that's 4.9% higher compared to a year ago. So it is housing so finance. A recovery. Yeah, there's a, still a recovery happening. Um, so in terms of split up between owner-occupied and investor housing, for owner-occupied, this rose by 5.6%. And that's 1.4% higher compared to a year ago. Investor housings rose by 5%. And that's 12.1% higher compared to a year ago. Okay, so, so this, is, this is yeah. This is clear that investing and or finance take up is not just about interest rates. Not. Because from a year ago, totally not. Interest rates are way higher. No. 
I'm this like you using me that sentiment. Sentiment. Is sentiment is huge because I'm like it's the thought of making the decision or the thought of the unknown or the thought of the known. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like all three. It's the thought though. So I'm just, again, hypothesis here. People may be thinking that interest rates are reaching their peak. People are thinking that maybe it wasn't as bad as they thought it would be. And people are thinking if all of that happened and things didn't fall back as crazily, why am I holding back? Why am I not giving life a go? Why am I not getting ahead? Why am I not trying to get ahead? And that is shown on the data. Completely. So seriously, there is some upticks here. Anyone, uncle, auntie at the barbecue, I'm talking to you, sitting there going, interest rates are going to do this or they did this. The numbers say otherwise. My biggest learnings over the interest rate rise, obviously I've learned it already in the data prior this happening, but learning it in the flesh and seeing it. Interest rates rising are a sign of a booming economy. Interest rates rising, therefore, are trying to cool down a booming economy. A booming economy increases house prices. Mm. A booming economy increases wages, and wages are rising. And therefore, if you have a booming economy combined with an undersupply of residential real estate for sale, for rent, and for construction, you continue a property boom. And interest rate rises alone cannot stop that, because if they did, we would not see a recovery in finance trends, and we would not see a strong job market, we would not see a strong property market, we would not see strong property prices, which we did see all over. Those declines that you saw in property prices in certain markets during 2022 were not because interest rates rose. And the effect of interest rates, they actually declined because the interest rates rose and they affected sentiment. So big learning for everyone there is whatever you think that causes something, it's probably the opposite. But secondly, it's that interest rates are an economic controlling environment. And it's usually trying to control something amazing on one side and trying to stop something horrible on the other side. So don't think of it as the, the clear correlation, think of it as the inverse. Secondly, think of the importance of sentiment and uh, sentiment is a big controller of, of end property market outcomes being the decisions people make. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a sentiment improvement now, considering what's ahead. But yeah, speaking of what's ahead, we've got some talks about 2024, yeah. don't we? 2024. So um, let's talk a bit about some property trends that we see coming up in 2024. And I guess it's really, really important to mention, Arjun, is you've had some good luck perhaps, some good research, data, analytics around certain areas that you've been buying in and the performance it's had during the year of 2023. And you kind of, I guess you could say, predicted this to happen and you've been buying there in advance and the likes of Adelaide and um, parts of Brisbane. Mm. So I guess, yeah, let's pick your brain on and thoughts on what's going to happen in 2024. Well, firstly, don't call my picking skills luck uh, because, you know, I was very grateful to have uh, been on the journey of being picked by you or you or me picking you, whichever way you want to call it. Um, the main thing is I think the picking skills are going pretty good, pretty good if you look at it that way. Uh, but I think looking at the markets, firstly, 2024 has got a few trends coming up. Um, obviously, we were the first to jump on mainstream telly and go, hey, don't worry about interest rates. Adelaide will grow double digits in 2022. And it did that. We also said, hey, Sydney will decline. And we also said the rental crisis will continue and where, and the list goes on. There's about, I think, 16 public predictions that we've made, and we're probably at about 14 out of 16 uh, off the top of my head. Now, 
when it comes to the seven trends that we've been thinking of and seeing for what's ahead, the first one is that it's clear that interest rates are to stabilize and consumer confidence is going to recover in the housing market. We're seeing the trends show in finance. So that is clear. You have an uptick whilst interest rates rose. It means the sentiment is improving. The desire to take up finance is there. The capability clearly was always there because even with, from that perspective, it's been having rises occur even whilst interest rates are improving. With interest rates stabilizing, I think, you know, when you look at from the perspective of the big four banks, now they don't have the most amazing track record, but let's, hey, let's talk to it. The big four banks feel that that cuts are due in the third quarter of 2024. So if we're looking at the big four banks thoughts there, that's cuts. Now, I'd always said in previous podcasts that I felt 2024, we were going to see some cuts happen for sure. And that's kind of what's happening What's happening here. Now, when it comes to the actual uh, RBA, I think if they follow on from some of the data we're seeing, which is inflation cooling off, global inflation cooling off, and then also unemployment likely rising, it's already risen a couple of data releases in a row. There should be going from this rising focus to a holding and C focus to then potentially a cut. Uh, so we're that's at 4.9% currently. Yeah, we're at some pretty high interest rates, right? So inflation-wise, yeah, 4.9% uh, was the last read. And in my opinion, we should see that number trend even lower. Sentiment from a perspective of Westpac, Melbourne Institute's consumer sentiment was pretty low at you know, sort of 79.9 or in the 70s. Now, the projection here is that you know we should start to see sentiment in 2024 get into the 90s from that index. If that occurs, that would be back to the figures of 2019 where the boom was initially starting yeah. to grow together. Uh, so that that is uh, expected to rise because of that confidence in consumers rising too. Do you think it's like once the RBA rates drop and all that, that's just going to create a frenzy again back in the market? Like yeah, absolutely. But it won't be the reason for the frenzy ongoing. Remember, yeah. if it was all interest rates on one direction, like, oh, it's going to cut and therefore everyone should be buying and everything's going to be booming, then we should be fair to the data and say, well, we made an assumption on one way. Shouldn't it be the opposite in the other? Like no yeah. one buys, everything falls. That didn't happen, right? Right. So what you do is you look at interest rates as their starting movements as a sentiment shifter, but the remaining movements as measure of economy. Yeah. So for example, interest rates rose in 2022. And when they picked up, sentiment fell off and was falling. And the falling of sentiment made prices come off. And then as a result of that fear of not knowing where interest rates go, how far they go, what damage they cause, some prices and some vendors were able to and willing to take on a bit of a loss. But then the majority of the interest rate rise period, we've now seen price growth mm. because the purpose of the rise was cooling a booming economy. The same way on the fall. If we see a fall in interest rates, I think it would create a mini frenzy at the start to see multiple pauses and falls because people, again, from a sentiment-driven aspect, are driven with confidence to come back. But then if interest rates keep falling, it's usually the signal and the sign of a lower-performing economy. Therefore, interest rates will start to fall further. And if a lower-performing economy sees interest rates fall further, many areas that are feeling the force of that lower performing economy will also slow down their performance. So at the start, yes, I expect seagulls to a chip when interest rates start falling. But if interest rates keep falling, you've got to think that most areas 
that have a, a decent economic size or an economic market that's locally not as strong will start to then weaken if interest rates keep falling, which is interesting. It's the opposite. People keep thinking, oh, wait, interest rates will get so much cheaper and everything will fly up. Well, if that was the case, why didn't all of Australia boom between 2012 and 19 when interest rates were falling for seven straight years? That's Sydney, so true. Sydney, Melbourne went. Hobart went towards the later part. Perth declined. Brisbane, Adelaide stayed flat. That's because interest rates falling are signs of a weak economy. So when they start to fall, sure, I agree, Lee. Uh, but when they fall further and further and further, that's a sign of a weak economy. And weak economies don't drive housing markets. So I think some local economies will, but not all. I think another thing, obviously, off the back of the cash rate increases, interest rates, all that, is obviously the rental increases that have been happening off the back of that. What's your thoughts of 2024, what that's going to look like? Yeah, the rental crisis will continue. And the, the renters will continue to get stinged. You have to look at it from multiple ways. One is migration still comes in, more people rather than houses available. Construction pipeline is not exciting. Properties are still, from a perspective of for rent, very low in availability. Vacancy rates are extremely low. Mm. And we had household formation increase, which means that you know more people left their families' homes over the last few years as the generational shift is occurring to go set up their own households. Yeah. So there will come a time where obviously a rental affordability is massively impacted. And therefore, as it's impacted, more people congregate together. And that movement together then flattens the rental growth curve because it's reaching affordability limits and people are coming together to solve it. But in the interim, that household, sort of average household size is still lowering and low. And whilst that's lowering and low, I would suggest that that combined with migration, combined with low availability of rentals and low construction means that the rental crisis will continue into 2024. Mm -hmm. And we should start to see yields increase again and rents boom again. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to bring up next is, well, that that's good for investors, I guess, as yields will continue to subside. Correct. So the yeah. first the first uh, trend was interest rates to stabilize, consumer confidence to recover, and the housing market to be positively impacted by that. Our second trend is that the rental crisis will continue and sting renters. Our third trend is that surging rental prices will make yields improve. Investors will start to return, and that will then be a big impact for investors because with moderating price, we can see prices moderating in some areas. With rents increasing, that attracts investors. And that's how you bring, as crazy as it sounds for all the people who hate investors, that's how you bring balance to a rental market. Yield increasing, prices moderating, investors keen, vacancies tight, more people having investment properties that go for rent, vacancy starts to soften and balance. So what about uh, property affordability, like affordable locations and like, mm. what do we foresee for 2024? Are we still going to see properties sub 500 that are going to be good from an investment standpoint? Yeah, I think right now, for as long as interest rates are you know hanging where they are, I think affordable locations will still be the, the most popular. Yeah. 
you know, that sort of 350 to 600K is very popular still. Mm. Especially like if you go look at across the country, you see Perth, the 350 to 550 has been popular. You see regional Queensland, 350 to 550 has been popular. SA in the 350 to 550 is booming the most. So it's clear that that affordable piece of markets is going to remain popular. Great. I think if you go out a year or two into 24, 25, the mid-tier of markets, that's six to 900, will really start to bounce back because you'll see all these markets getting close to that price point. Right. And that's when interest rates are obviously started to predict it to be lowering again. Mm. That mid-range price point will, will jump back up again. So that's definitely one of our next trends. Yeah, exciting. How about like, because it's been a fair bit time now since COVID, we've moved on from COVID. What's the overall outlook for migration at the moment? Yeah, so I think it's it's clear that Migration to the capitals is strong from the overseas migration. But when it comes to the regional migration, we still are seeing the numbers stronger than pre-COVID averages. So like anyone who said that, oh, the migration to the regions was just a COVID thing. Our next trend here is that regional migration is still operating above 2019 levels. You know, the Movers Index, which is a regional Movers Index produced jointly by CBA and RAI, Mm -hmm. it shows that if you look at the September ending quarter, the share of relocators from the capital to the regions did decrease a little bit. But then the share of people moving to the regions, um, from uh, regions to the capital, sorry, dropped more. And so we're seeing a higher region's net gain of internal migrants. It's still positive. And so the regional area index by CBA and RAI is up 30.4%, 8.3% above pre-COVID averages. Mm. So yes, it's not its peak when everyone was dropping everything to tree change, sea change, but it's still up. It's still higher than pre-COVID. So guys, a trend is here to stay. Do not think that regionals are dead and disappear or regionals only came alive because of COVID, the trends have been moving up and they're higher than pre-COVID. So we're looking pretty good from that part. Now, the last trend to share, I I said seven, I think, or six in. Um, The last trend to share is that when it comes to the undersupply, the undersupply is still very much there. I think that is the big growth driver. You know, you can talk about finance trends coming back in. You can talk about migration coming back in. You can talk about interest rates stabilizing, but they all are demand pieces. The big supply piece needs to be there for demand to outweigh it. And the supply piece is still very strong, being that it's so low. Mm. You know, when you look at the supply, I think when we look at first measurement of supply, we look at what we call established supply. So this is properties for sale. Mm. In 2019, pre-COVID, there were 264,000 houses listed for sale across Australia as per SQM research. The number now in 2023, as of November data, is 184.5,000. That is a 30% decline. We do not see a quick recovery happening of that number in 2024. We see a recovery happening, but not a quick one. So as long as that number's 30% below, which is huge, Lee, we're going to see supply be an issue. Mm. So yeah, that's some of the trends for 2024. Interest rates are going to stabilize. Consumer confidence will come back. Affordable locations will remain popular amongst property buyers until the interest rates start to you know, change up a little bit. And that's when the mid-tier and the higher, higher ends will come back into the mix. Sub-market cycles, they'll continue to diversify. Rental crisis will continue. 
surging rental prices and rental yields are going to make things very attractive for investors. Supply shortage will be the core thing to look out for and will still continue. And then the regional migration still remains above pre-COVID and expect that to continue. However, not at peak levels of 2021. Uh, So I think we're looking for a year of strength in the property market, unlike some other commentators in 2024. However, where the weakness will arrive is really just going to be on how far they keep pushing and keep pushing if they keep doing that when it comes to the interest rates and also how much the economy needs to be shifted if it does shift in the other direction. Uh, Right now, if supply remains this low, if we see what we're seeing with consumer confidence and finance take up improve, and we're seeing the rental yields come back into markets, things are still looking good. Well, we're wrapping up 2023. And I think last thing I would touch on before we end the year, I guess, is this is a great time with all the downtime to review your finances. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely it. Shameless plug, Lee. Shameless how do we how do we get your finances review with your with your team on the side? Uh, again, hillsfinance.com.au forward slash contact, or you can just call the 1300 number, 1300-697-063. We'll be contactable. And yeah, I guess have a review of your loans, restructure. It could be, you know, getting ready for the new year goals in advance. Don't leave it for the new year like most people do. And then you get to the end of the year, you're like, oh, I didn't do that thing. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Now for the those who are, you know, finance ready or are getting uh, to look at finance and property together, we are going into a closure break for Christmas soon. But that does mean that spots for January onboarding are filling up really, really quickly. If you'd like to learn more about that, just jump onto investikit.com.au and we can have a free initial consultation with the team. Uh, Australia's Buyers Agency of the Year for 2023 here to help you reach your 2024 goals. So take care. Welcome back, Lee. And great to have you back for another podcast. And for everyone tuning in, thank you for tuning in to another show of the Property Notes podcast. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned. Game over.